This is the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77 WABC. Here's the Globe's Editor-in-Chief, David Wildstein. Happy New Year, everybody. I think all of us are glad to be done with 2020 and welcome in 2021. And as we think about what's in store for this year, those of us who follow politics closely know that New Jerseyans and New Yorkers, the year after the presidential election is an important and and an exciting one. Uh, New Jersey elects a governor and a state legislature. New York City will elect a new mayor. There's a lot going on. And I've been looking forward to this year. I've been looking forward to this week's show because for me, it's a way of tying together the past, the present, and the future. At 520, I'll speak with Dr. Sean Klein. He's a young, rising star in New Jersey politics. And yesterday, he was sworn in as the new mayor of Livingston. And that's an especially important position because it's the job that I held 34 years ago. It's been a long, long time since I was mayor, but you won't want to miss me talking to one of my successors. And at 535, I'll be joined by Congressman Christopher Smith, a Republican who at noon tomorrow will set the record as the longest serving member of Congress in New Jersey history. Uh, It's a big deal. He'll begin his 21st term tomorrow, his 41st year in Congress, and he'll break the record set by Peter Rodino, an Essex County Democrat who you may remember was the chairman of the House Judiciary Committee during the Watergate impeachment hearings. Uh, I was with Chris Smith in Washington on January 3rd, 1981. day he was sworn in as a member of Congress for the first time. So he and I have a lot to talk about. His record, uh, one that won't be so easily broken, and and what he's accomplished in 40 years, and what's next on Christmas agenda for 2021. So you won't want to miss that. Uh, This is David Wildstein, the editor of the New Jersey Globe. You're listening to the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on 77 WABC. And Governor Phil Murphy is seeking re-election this year. New Jersey is an enormously blue state with more than a million uh, Democrats than Republicans, but with a history of preferring a Republican governor, Uh, even as we saw for the eight years before Phil Murphy, in my opinion, not a a horrible Republican governor, but a Republican governor for eight years. And so while Phil Murphy looks to be in good shape for re-election. Uh, He's not going to have a primary. His job approval ratings are high, at least they are right now. But he doesn't have a lock on on a second term because of the history, because it's been since 1977 that a Democratic governor has won re-election, won a second term as governor of New Jersey. And there are a lot of uncertainties for an incumbent governor. Uh, Few of us imagine what kind of year 2020 would turn out to be. And And we don't know what 2021 will be like. Uh, We hope that people get the vaccine. We hope that it works. We pray that COVID-related deaths drop dramatically. Uh, So while New Jerseyans largely judge Governor Murphy on his handling of the pandemic, they'll, uh, for the same reason, judge him next year on his COVID recovery performance. And, And for a governor, there's a lot that can go right, and there's a lot that could go wrong, and it could go wrong quickly. And people will be watching to see how fast businesses reopen, whether life returns to normal or not, whether whether some of the issues we watched uh, during the 
pre-pandemic days, like major problems at New Jersey Transit with the Division of Motor Vehicles, whether they're fixed. And Republicans have not been shy about pointing out what they think are Murphy's flaws. This week, the state commander of the Veterans of Foreign Wars slammed Murphy on his handling of, of what was, was a horrible, tragic uh, moment in New Jersey, about 200 uh, residents uh, in long-term uh, facilities for veterans run by the state uh, died as a result of COVID-19. Uh, the VFW has called for an appointment of a special prosecutor to investigate how things got that bad. And it seems clear that the Republicans plan on making these COVID-related deaths in nursing homes uh, all over the state an issue. Uh, in case you missed it, I've got some exciting news for everybody. The New Jersey Globe will sponsor the first two debates for the Republican gubernatorial primary. The first one will take place right here on 77 WABC on Saturday, January 23rd at 5 p.m. That's just three weeks away. And two candidates have qualified for the debate so far. It's former Assemblyman Jack Cittarelli and former Republican State Chairman Doug Steinhardt. I will moderate the debate and the next one on, on February 28th. In New Jersey, county Republican organizations hold screening committees and conventions to endorse candidates. And that results in a preferential placement on the primary election ballots. So these conventions are hugely important. And these debates, uh, they're early. They don't usually happen until May, but I think they're vital since county Republican organizations make their endorsements in February and March, it's a good idea to have debates in January and February. Uh, I said that Jack Cittarelli and Doug Steinhardt have qualified. Let me explain what that means. The, the New Jersey Globe didn't want a cattle call like the presidential debates we saw in 2019 and 2020, where there were so many candidates on stage that, frankly, I think the uh, their message to the voters was a little diminished by the lack of time each one had to present themselves. So we set up some criteria to qualify the, for the debate. Either you raise enough money, uh, meaning you've qualified for matching funds, or you meet some realistic benchmarks for organizational support. Now, you can win a primary with money, or you can win it with organization backing, but if you don't have either, well, you're probably not going to be the nominee. So I'm looking forward to these debates, uh, and, and I think they're going to be exciting, and I think they're going to be worth listening to. This is David Wildstein, the editor of the New Jersey Globe. You're listening to the New Jersey Globe Power Hour, and Representative Chris Smith, I said earlier, will break the record tomorrow, longest-serving congressman in New Jersey history. He'll join me at 535, and I want to tell everyone – classic Chris Smith story, because if you don't already know it, you should. Uh, let me set it up. Chris Smith first ran for Congress 1978. He was 25 years old. It was a Democratic district, an entrenched 12-term incumbent named Frank Thompson. He was the chairman of a powerful committee, the House Administration Committee. Uh, he was the guy who doled out money to other members of Congress to run their offices. And Thompson beat Smith by 24 points. But as people who have watched Chris Smith over the last 42 years know, and, and I know it, uh, he's not a guy who's easily deterred. When Chris Smith 
wants something that's like a dog with a bone, and I, and I say that in a, only a good way. So in 1980, Smith wasn't deterred by a 24-point loss. He ran again. And, and this time, as, as my old friend Steve Adubato used to say, circumstances changed. Uh, early in 1980, Thompson was implicated in an FBI sting operation known as Abscam. I could spend an entire show just talking about that scandal. And an undercover FBI agent pretending to be an Arab sheik offered Thompson a cash bribe to help them circumvent immigration laws. So they say in politics that timing is everything, and Chris Smith was, was the luckiest man alive, this time age 2071, and he won big, 16 points, and he got to Congress spending less than $90,000. I think that's less than what it costs to win a council seat in Mount Laurel these days. Uh, Thompson was indicted a few weeks after the election. He was convicted the following year. Uh, and I want to read to you exactly what it said in the Almanac of American Politics, the Bible of American politics about Smith when he was a, a first-term congressman. They wrote, there is a general assumption in New Jersey that Smith has few political assets outside Thompson's abscam problems and will turn out to be a one-term congressman. That one, folks, did not age well. And when Smith ran for a second term, 1982, he faced, I think, the strongest possible opponent, a guy named Joe Merlino. He was a cigar-chomping former Senate president who saw going to Congress as sort of a consolation prize because he lost a race for governor the year earlier. Uh, so to boost his campaign, Merlino had a heavy hand in gerrymandering. He drew himself a new district. He took Smith's hometown in Middlesex County out, uh, along with some other Republican areas. He instead drew this new district that went south along the Delaware River into, into Democratic-rich Camden County. And Merlino's most unforgettable TV ad, I remember it was just shot in black and white. It was an imitation of the film Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. And the ad showed a, a youthful hitchhiker with voiceover attacks against Smith. It was followed by an actor uh, playing Smith getting kicked down the Capitol steps with the narrator urging voters to kick Smith out of Washington and replace him with Merlino. And Republicans responded. They got Jimmy Stewart, the actor, the, the famous actor who played Mr. Smith in the movie to issue a statement. Uh, I wish I could do Jimmy Stewart's voice, but let me read what he said. He said, when I played Mr. Smith in that picture, I did not think he was a naive hick. I thought he believed in honesty and integrity in government, the right of the people and the love of this country. And that sort of cast... Chris Smith as a freshman congressman in a different light among the voters. And, and here's my favorite story. It's the one that defined Chris Smith in the early days. After a debate, Smith approached Merlino to tell him something he said wasn't true. And Merlino was standing with a reporter, and he looks at Smith, and he says, Beat it, kid. I'm talking to the press. And then, with the, with the reporter standing there, he looks at Smith, and he says, When I get to Washington, look me up. I may give you a job as a page. Uh, Smith won that by 10,000 votes. And now this man who was dismissed as a fluke, as a one-term congressman, will set the record tomorrow for longevity as the longest-serving member of Congress in New Jersey history. Uh, I'll be back after this break with Livingston Mayor Sean Klein. He's got the job now that I had 34 years ago, so you won't want to miss our conversation. Uh, after Mayor Klein, I'll have the honor of speaking with Congressman Smith. This is David Wildstein, the editor of the New Jersey Globe, and you are listening to the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on 77 WABC. 
It's the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77 WABC. Here's the Globe's editor-in-chief, David Wildstein. So, as I said earlier, on January 1st, 1987, it was one of the greatest honors of my life. I was sworn in as the mayor of Livingston. Uh, I was 25. I was brash. I didn't always... Uh, I wasn't always aware uh, that I didn't know what I didn't know. But yesterday, 34 years later, Dr. Sean Klein was sworn in as the mayor. He was in high school when I was in office. I've been watching him over the last few years. He's a rising star. Hard not to be impressed by a mayor. Welcome and congratulations. David, thank you very much. It's an, it's an honor to be the first mayor on your program, I, I have to say. You are, but you do come from the greatest town in New Jersey, right? I, I can't argue with you. Um, <laughs> I think that uh, Livingston is the, the land of governors, I, I like to say, if you, if you think about it. Um, Christie came from Livingston and Kane, and uh, Brendan Byrne lived here later in life and is named after the first, uh, first governor out of all of them. And I think that, uh, let me know if I'm wrong here, wasn't Wally Edge from Livingston? Uh, he was not, but he had a family member from Livingston. <laughs> but you're, the record's pretty good. Two, two out of three governors, good governors. So. <laughs> so so, let me start out with this. When, when I was mayor, the Democratic municipal chair was Pat Siebold. And Pat and I, I mean, we didn't always get along. I think that's probably an understatement. But, but I always respected her. And frankly, I think she was, she was the only one I was afraid of. And, and Pat's still the chair now. I think she's been there 45 years. And, and I think we have something in common. That, that we're both fortunate to count P- Pat Siebold as our friend, right? I, absolutely. I mean, uh, Pat's guidance, um, she, you know, she's the first person that gave me a, uh, a chance to, uh, to, to get elected position and uh, asked me to run. And uh, I'll always be in her debt. She's she's broken every record in, in uh, I think in New Jersey for for or you'll know better than I will, but certainly in Essex County as a freeholder and as a municipal chair. Yeah, she was reelected last year. It's it now I guess as of today the Essex County Board of Commissioners. She was the top vote getter. I think she got close to a quarter million votes, and and she's got the record as the longest serving county commissioner in New, in, in in the history of the state. I think that's deserved, isn't it? I think so. Um, she's certainly uh, been a welcome presence for our township, and she always represents us very well. And, uh, and she's been great for everyone that's on our town council currently, for sure. And, and I, want, I want to go on to, to one of your pet projects as a, as a councilman. It was energy aggregation. And, and I think under your leadership, Livingston became the, uh, we reported it last year, eighth town in the, in the U.S. to go 100% green energy. How did that work? So, you know, I, I always think of Mike Bloomberg in terms of, you know, great mayor of New York. And uh, he always said that you, you have to obviously govern locally, but you have to do big things. And um, I, what we wanted to do was we, we essentially decided we were going to go out and use the bulk purchasing power of the 10,000 households in Livingston. And we were going to use that power to go onto the free energy market and purchase energy for our residents. And we had two goals in doing this. We wanted to increase the green energy consumption. Uh, in order to fight climate change, and we wanted to save our residents money. And we were able to do both of those things. Um, as of uh, last October, we had about a year and a half uh, period where, where the majority of our residents, as you said, had 100% green energy, and, uh, which we're very proud of that. And in addition, we also saved collectively about a million dollars for everyone, so about 10% discount on their bills. So um, it was a very exciting uh, program to do, and we're going to uh, have another one coming up starting in March, uh, which we're doing with a larger group of uh, Essex County towns. So it's been uh, a wonderful uh, program, and, and we, look, uh, we hope that other people will adopt it as well. So I'm, I'm speaking with Mayor Sean Klein of Livingston. I, I sometimes have trouble with 
labels on this particular issue. I can see the conservative side. It's free markets, it's home rule, and I, and I see the appeal to the left, which is green energy. Is this, a, is this a conservative position or is this a liberal position? I think that's what's so great about it. I think it, it appeals to anybody. If you sit and talk about it, certainly we had residents who, you know, were skeptical. They you know, want government coming in and changing who's supplying their energy. Um, first of all, anyone can opt out if they wanted to. No one's forced to do this. Um, but we were able to argue with them and say, listen, this is a free – this is a local decision. We're using the free market to go out to bid. This is, a, this is win, win, win all the way across. You know, if you don't do this with us, which you don't have to – then you're going to have the Trenton mandated monopoly that's telling you who supplies your energy at what cost, and you don't have any chance to make savings on that. So, how much? I mean, it, you said it saves about 10 percent from from the bill. About what percentage of the of the people in your town took advantage of this? So we had we did living seems a little bit strange in that we have two different energy uh, two different utilities that provide energy to us. But uh, so it's two thirds PSC and G and one third uh, JCP and L. All in, we probably were had about eight or nine percent of people who opted not to do the program. But, you know, if they wanted dirtier, more expensive energy, they were allowed to have it. And does the model that you set up in Livingston, Mayor, does it does it work in other towns? It works in, in any town in uh, New Jersey. It would work. I mean, I, I would hope it would be copied across the nation. Um, you know, we weren't the very first people to do it. We were certainly early to do it. Um, but this is a model that exists in, in, in many places. I think we were just very successful in applying it. Um, but we're doing it now with uh, seven other towns in Essex County in order to increase our bulk purchasing power even more. And that's what that new program will be in March. This is David Wildstein. I'm the editor of the New Jersey Globe. I'm speaking with Livingston Mayor Sean Klein. And, and Mayor, you you referred to climate change in your remarks yesterday when you took office. And, and I've, I've mostly viewed this as a national issue. You You seem to view it as a local one. You know, it, it's it's the Mike Bloomberg thing, right? If if the 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 if the federal government and the state governments are not doing all that can be done, it, it's up to the to the towns and the cities to jump in there and, and get their job done too. And that's how we that's how we govern in Livingston. I mean, we have our eye on the ball with lots of big issues, and uh, you know, but we have to still do the job for the residents. Of course, we have to make sure we're giving the customer service that they need. We have to make sure that uh, we're keeping the budget under control. Um, you know, we have to govern uh, as as all mayors do. And uh, let me, I want to shift topics for a second. There, there've been, I, I just, I saw the, I get a report every day from, from Escus County Executive Joe DiVincenzo, hands-on County Executive, uh, with, with numbers from Essex County related to COVID and, and uh, yeah. sadly 78 deaths in your town. Uh, what's it, what's it like? Uh, what was it like as a councilman last year as, as what do you anticipate as mayor this year governing in a pandemic? Yeah, I, I think uh, it's a challenge for anyone that's in government. Um, you know, hopefully if you can do a good job, uh, you have a chance to uh, to shine a little bit because people really need a hand. Um, I, I see it as sort of falling into two buckets. Um, one of them is economic. Um, you know, we needed to make sure that our taxes were kept under control because people were hurting financially. Um, this past year under uh, uh, Mayor Rudy Fernandez, uh, we were able to keep our, our municipal tax rate uh, at a 0% increase, which was for the first time in a while. And, uh, and we did that because we were mindful that, that people were having trouble. And um, besides that, we had to support our local businesses. We, we went out and uh, created a grant program. We distributed $125,000 uh, to uh, businesses so they could adapt to the new circumstances. You know, we relaxed our zoning laws. We created social media campaigns to support those local businesses. Um, we did what we could do. Um, and, I think, yeah. No, go ahead. Go ahead. 
Well, so that's, I think, the economic side of it. Um, the other side of it, I think, is the public health side of it, which is obviously crucial. Um, at, you know, as a physician mayor, I, I have to lead by example. When I, when I got the vaccine last Monday, I was on social media promoting it. Um, people have to understand this is something they need to trust. Um, I'm signed up as a volunteer to administer the vaccine as well uh, in the coming weeks. And this has just been it's just been a horrible year as we, we we've talked about earlier on the show and 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 you know really through the last year it's just, it's just been awful for what people have experienced but hopefully there's some good things happening in livingston also um there are there are i mean i, I you know if i could just uh, you know if you talk about covid obviously that's the first hurdle to get over i mean the second half of this year is you know this, this year looks like a, a great upward trajectory right i mean it, it just seems like the second half of this year is going to be a lot I mean, we can't we hope it doesn't get any worse right <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, listen, I tell people you're either going to have to get, you know, if you have a choice, you're either going to get the vaccine or the virus. And you have to think to yourselves, what's worse, the side effect of the virus or the side effects of the vaccine? Right. If you get the vaccine, your arm is going to be sore and you're going to feel foolish for a couple of days. But if you get the virus, you could be killed by it. And if you don't get killed, 10 percent of people become these long haulers with cardiac and pulmonary problems. And they have uh, psychiatric illnesses related because of brain inflammation. And, of course, they can transmit it to others. You know, if we want this economy to do well and we want everyone in Livingston to prosper, we have to get herd immunity and we, we need to get this done. It's a medical no brainer. And it, it's been it's been it's been a long time since since I was in Livingston. I mean, it's 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 30, 34 years since I was mayor, as I as, as I keep mentioning. Uh, what do, what do you think the next 30 years in your town looks like? How do you how do you see the growth of your town and and what does that mean for New Jersey? Well, I think that um, Livingston should do really well. I mean, we've, we've always put out a good product, as we've talked about. Right. There's, there's the education in Livingston is fantastic. Um, I think the, the thing that we have to really keep our eye on the ball in terms of is the uh, development in town. Um, we need to be careful that it doesn't get overgrown. We want to keep this sort of green, leafy uh, feeling that it has as a suburb. Um, this is why people live here. They come here for the neighborhoods. They come here for the education. Um, the, um, you know, there's a, one of the problems in the state of New Jersey is that there are these um, – the developers sometimes have the ability to sue the townships in order to kind of get these developments uh, shoved down towns' throats in order to uh, meet the requirements for affordable units. Um, and that can change the quality of the town. You know, you end up getting these big developments in the middle of areas where you can't uh, – it's not smart development. People can't walk to the store. They can't – they have to get in their car for everything. And, and fighting those kinds of changes is, you know, I think what's important for Livingston in the, in the coming decades. And this is uh, – I mean, it's, it, it's, it's always been a great town. You, you grew up there. Uh, yes. I, I, I remember you when you were in high school. What, I, remember what, you, I remember you as mayor <laughs> when I was in high school. <laughs> that was so long ago. But tell you what, let's agree not to talk about my tenure as mayor. How's that? <laughs> I, I don't have a good sense of – I remember you being mayor, and I remember there was a lot of energy around your mayorship, but I don't remember much politically. I wasn't that uh, – you know, paying such close attention as a ninth grader <laughs> to the so, politics. So we – that's good. So we, so we, we talk about – I mean, you, you mentioned it. Uh, Livingston is the – you know, it was named after a governor. It's been the home to the governors. Uh, do you think there'll be another governor from Livingston someday? I'm sure of it. Um, as, as I said, I mean, there's, there's such good product that comes out of Livingston. The people who come out of Livingston are, you know, they, they are pure Americana. They are people who, um, who work hard and they, and they are smart. And there's this great mix of people that come from this town uh, of lots of different ethnicities and races. And you just kind of uh, you store that all together, and you just have these these people who come out of Livingston with incredible talent, and uh, it's a wonderful place to grow up. Right. Uh, 
I've been speaking with Livingston Mayor Sean Klein. Mayor, thank you for coming on. Thank you for being here today. Thank you for having me. It's been great. Thank you. And I'll, I'll be back with Congressman Chris Smith, who will make history in Washington tomorrow, so please don't miss it. This is David Wildstein, and you're listening to the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on 77 WABC. The New Jersey Globe Power Hour is on. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Welcome back. It's David Wildstein, the editor of the New Jersey Globe. Christopher Smith will take office tomorrow as a member of the United States House of Representatives for the 21st time. Congressman, how are you? David, so great to talk to you. How are you? I'm well. Happy New Year to you and to Marie. Hope everybody's well. Oh, thank you so much. Everybody's fine, and I appreciate you asking, and hope you're doing well as well. I, I am. Thanks. So, so tomorrow's a big deal. When you take oh, the... When you take the oath at noon, you're going to you're going to break a record. You'll be the longest serving congressman in New Jersey history. Forty years in Congress. Wow. I mean, it's it's incredible. Well, well, thank you. And um, it is, you know, I'm so grateful to the voters and my family and and friends who have helped make this possible. Um, There's so much unmet need out there and so many things still to be accomplished. So, uh, you know, I'm very enthusiastic. I'm very committed. And um I'm just looking forward to getting back to work. Yeah, I was on the floor as late as Thursday when one of my bills in the final 20 minutes before it was the end of the session, uh, we were afraid it was going to die. It's on combating anti-Semitism. It was held up in the Senate for months, 23 months to be exact. Um, finally broke through, and we got it uh, back to the House and sent it down to the president. So there's always a lot of uh, intrigue and you know, all kinds of uh, nail biters uh, for important policies, but there's so much more to be done. And I can't wait to uh, get back to the job this and week. When you were when you took the oath of office for the first time, so January yes. 3rd, 1981, I, I, I remember I was I was I was there with you that day and, and, yes, and I will I never forget it. Well, <laughs> uh, well I, I remember mean, you being there and I remember, you know, my whole family was there. Um, uh, and for new members, they always give them extra seats in the gallery. And there was my wife, uh, my uh, daughter, my there were the my parents and, and brothers, all up there, uh, and it was just a you know I'll never forget it. It was Ronald Reagan's um, a year. It's when he won as well, and uh, and you know you and I, particularly on the issue of Soviet Jews, worked very hard. You might remember when I was on Larry King live for three hours of radio. You were you know working with me on that important issue of helping uh, refuse Nicks Jews who were being horribly mistreated by the Soviet Union. And um, we, we worked on that together to try to liberate and free them. Uh, but, you know, they're, they're just very fond memories, um, difficult issues. Uh, but, you know, we prevailed in, on many of them. So one of the things, Congressman, that, that I mean, seems seems apparent to everybody, whether whether they vote for you or they don't vote for you, it seems apparent to everybody, which is you seem to really love being in Congress. I, I do. I love it. It's all about, honestly, it's it's service to people. Um, it's the duty to assist, you know, having empathy or trying to have empathy for people in, you know, who are facing difficult situations. Um, um, and, you know, it does coincide with my faith uh, that we all have a duty to assist those who are, who are in need. Uh, any one of us can be that. I could be it tomorrow, you know, where I'm in need and somebody needs to be helping me. Uh, so it's a, it's a sense of just trying to, you know, cover all the bases on behalf of people uh, and during this COVID year, we've never had more casework. We've had 93,000 individual caseworks uh, that we've worked on, and I, I'm very much of a hands-on guy. I've got great staff 
but I do a lot of it myself. And my wife is my greatest advisor, as you know, uh, yes. David. You know, she's not only my best friend, but she is the wisest, smartest person I have ever met. Um, and and I wouldn't be here uh, all these years without you know her faith, hope, and charity that she just epitomizes. So, um, and during COVID, we have been working around the clock. My staff has been stretched, obviously, like other congressional offices. But it's all about meeting those needs, meeting those needs, making sure that they get the medicines or whatever it is uh, that that person needs at that particular time. So it's, um, I'm, you know, the enthusiasm, enthusiasm level uh, um, isn't even tempered by disappointments. You know, you do manage your disappointments in this job, you know, perpetual sneers. Uh, you know, I, I want nothing of that. We need to have a more benign adversarial relationship uh, with both parties or all parties, because there are some from third parties as well. Uh, and an opponent on an issue should not be an enemy ever. You know, you try to persuade sure. them. If you don't, you shake hands and go on and have another debate. <laughs> and before we talk more about your career, I, I want to point out the record that you'll be breaking tomorrow uh, is the one that's held by Peter Rodino. I mean, he's a New Jersey legend. He was chairman of the House oh, Judiciary sure. Committee. You and Congressman Rodino served together for eight years. What, what are your recollections of him? Oh, I had nothing but respect for him. Um, you know, as chairman of the Judiciary Committee, he oversaw a lot of things. I worked with him on some issues, particularly in the area of crime. Um, and he, um, you know, obviously he you know, was very well thought of. Um, and um, so, you know, we um, we got along um, quite well. Uh, he was a, you know, in the era of Bob Rowe and people like that. Bob I worked very closely with, too. He was a great bipartisan leader. Um, you know, they, they were in the era of where even where there were differences, you tried to work it out. And um, so we need to get back to that era. Not <laughs> not a lot of that right that. now, I guess. No, not at all. And it's, it's you know, I think it's inhibiting some people from even running for office. Um, you know, there's just too much uh, animosity. And, you know, there's it's not helpful. We need public policy where we're all striving, even when we disagree, for the greatest uh, possible outcome that serves people and, and, and justice. And, um, you know, and, and like I said, even when you disagree, there needs to be that respect between uh, both parties. And uh, so, you know, you know, Peter Rodino was a man that I had a great deal of agreement with and some disagreements with, but he, I always respected him. Yeah. And this is David Wildstein, I'm the editor of the New Jersey Globe. I'm speaking with Congressman Chris Smith. And Congressman, one of the things that strikes me is the number of laws that carry your name. I, I counted 47 of them. I don't even, those signed into, passed by the House, passed by the Senate, signed into law by the President. And I was looking at some of the votes today. And one of the things that, that, that really, really uh, stuck out to me was, was these were not partisan votes on a lot of your, the, the laws that you've written. They were largely passed along bipartisan lines. Uh, what's your secret to that? How do you do that? Well, that's a great point. You know, many of them were original ideas. You know, I, I always have a yellow pad in my car, wherever I'm at. I write down ideas for legislation or anything dealing with this job. And uh, like the autism laws came out of a meeting with some people from BRIC, Bobby and Billy Gallagher, who talked about the unmet need um, of aut children with autism in BRIC Township. And I brought the CDC up, and all of a sudden we found that we had a prevalence spike that wasn't just in BRIC. But it was in all the other towns uh, that they studied, so I wrote a law, and I've done four laws on autism. The most recent called the Autism Cares Act, $1.8 billion 
for the NIH, CDC, HRSA, for research, for best practices. Um, and it all came out of the casework, meeting in Whiting with Bobby and Billy Gallagher for three hours after hours one, one day uh, in 1997, uh, and then took it from there. It took two years to get that bill passed. I immediately reached across the aisle, uh, and um, uh, Mike Doyle, uh, from um, um, uh, Pennsylvania became a very, I asked him if he would join me in forming a autism caucus. Uh, he agreed. And we have been working hand in glove ever since um, uh, on these laws. And so, you know, I do believe in bipartisanship. Um, uh, and it really, you know, again, it's got to be principled. I disagree with people on some issues. Uh, Rosa Delore, I work with her on issues, um, um, uh, even though we have some profound disagreements on the sanctity of life issue. Uh, which I believe very passionately in, you know, the unborn child being respected and their mothers. Um, and parenthetically, my daughter, one of my daughters is pregnant. We just saw the ultrasound. Wow. Congratulations. Um, this week at 20 weeks, and there's the child sucking uh, the baby's thumb. I mean, we don't know. She didn't want to know if it was a boy or a girl. He had it in an envelope. <laughs> but uh, we sat there, the whole family, and watched. It was on a WhatsApp. She sent out right away. Uh, and I watched that 50 times, you know, I exaggerate, about 25 times. Well, and I, have and I just to, I couldn't have to... get over the miracle of life. And um, so that's something that drives me as well, that all life is sacred. Well, and one of, one of the things that just, I mean, when you when you talk about that, it just, just amazes me because I, I, I clearly remember like it was yesterday, you at 27 years old taking taking the oath of office for the first time. And, you know, now now you you, you and Marie are, are grandparents. And, and, uh, yes, we are. Right? Uh, yeah, uh, and that's that's terrific. Congratulations. What, one thing, Thank you. Thank you. one other thing that 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 I see is that uh, some of these bills that you, some of these laws that you've had passed, they they might seem to be no brainers, uh, but it took you a long time. I mean, it, would, it seemed to me that it seems to me amazing that that there wasn't an immediate uh, level of support on your human trafficking bill. It's it's not like anybody supports human trafficking, but I it took so you what five years. Yeah, it, it, and not only that, I, I started around 1995, uh, really took off in 97, um, and I had trouble at first finding a Democrat co-sponsor, then found you know some people that joined in, um, and then it was opposed by the Clinton administration, and I'm the only one at the hearing, so I can say this, you know, I can show you the record, uh, when the testimony was against most of what was in it, including establishing the Trafficking in Persons Office, which is about 70 people at the Department of State. Uh, the, the, the sanctions against countries, because it is domestic and international, it's our, it's our landmark law on human trafficking. It's called the Trafficking Victims Protection Act. Uh, but it took years to get passed, and even at the end of the session, there was we didn't know if Bill Clinton was going to sign it or veto it. We did not know. Um, uh, we thought it was going to be a pocket veto um, because they were against so much. Madeleine Albright didn't want sanctions against countries that didn't meet what we put into the law, which or the bill, which were uh, minimum standards, but they're good standards, holding people to account, particularly in law enforcement and um, um, you know, politicians and judges. Uh, and then he did sign it, and then you know I got four more after that. The one that took the longest was the international Megan's Law. Little Megan Tanka in 1994 was brutally murdered by a pedophile who lives across the street. That's where Megan's Laws all came from. And we found that a lot of, of these individuals – we're going over national boundaries, you know, to other countries, uh, to abuse children. And we needed to at least notify their law enforcement and their immigration people that so-and-so is coming. That passed three times in the House. 
uh, and we could not get the it Senate. It takes a long time. That was during the Obama administration. It took a long time. It takes a long time. So I'm, there's five trafficking laws that, that are on the books now, hopefully, God willing, saving victims from the prevention yes. point of view, holding perpetrators to account, and um, the whole idea of um, – um, protecting the victims and getting them into shelters. Sure. This is David Wildson. I'm the editor of the New Jersey Globe. I'm speaking with Congressman Chris Smith. And Congressman, uh, we're going to go for a break, but I hope you'll stay on and, and, and we can talk oh, some more about it. your record. Thank you, David. The New Jersey Globe Power Hour is on. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Welcome back. It's David Wildstein. I'm the editor of the New Jersey Globe, and I'm speaking with Christopher Smith, congressman from New Jersey, who tomorrow will set the record as the longest-serving member of the House of Representatives from from New Jersey. Congressman, I, I want to talk to you about uh, some of the laws that you've gotten passed, the, the Homeless Veterans Assistance Act, for, for one. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, I was chairman of the House Committee on Veterans Affairs, and had a great concern for homeless veterans and decided uh, we're going to do something about it. Introduced a bill, Homeless Veterans Comprehensive Assistance Act of 2001, uh, and it covers every aspect. I had hearings. I had people in New Jersey testify, uh, homeless veterans who told their story, heartbreaking stories of being on the streets, uh, many who have served totally honorably um, and unfortunately a PTSD or, or a chemical dependency issue and found themselves on the street. Um, and the bill um, has been a success. We're now in the 20th year this year. And he, just to give you an example, the numbers of homeless veterans were at 290,000 on any given night. There were different estimates, but that was a consensus kind of number. Uh, it is now down to 37,000, still unconscionably high, but the veterans, this law has made a difference. Uh, as a matter of fact, we put things into the law after I heard from the dentist who said, you know, if you really want someone to regain, you know, look in the mirror and feel good about themselves as they're going through a whole process, you better have a mouth rehab. You know, the teeth um, are good for digestion, necessary, of course, uh, but if you want to get a job, that's going to be part of it, too. Uh, so we wrote that in there. They get into a VA program, they get a mouth rehab, uh, and, and thankfully that has worked out very well, too. But the PTSD is probably the biggest issue that needed to be dealt with, um, and and uh, it is making a difference. Um, and, and even in my own uh, uh, district, um, uh, we now have, thankfully, uh, we broke ground, uh, and um, um, it, it's it's a it's called the um, uh, Soldier On, uh, and you know over 70 new units uh, for homeless veterans in New Jersey, in Monmouth County, in in um, uh, Tenton Falls has now been established, and uh, it's it's just you know. It's just an ongoing reaching out, caring for those in needs, men and women, uh, overwhelmingly men, but there are women veterans as well, uh, need our help. And that law has made the difference. And this is the 20th anniversary. We come into, uh, and and Congressman, one, one of the things I think you're, you're, you're known for, there's a lot of things you're known for, but one of them is the, uh, the Sean David Goldman International Child Abduction uh, Pre- 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 Prevention Act. And uh, uh, that happened... Uh, that happened to one of your constituents, separated from five years from his son, who uh, whose mother kidnapped him and took him uh, out of the out of the country. How did how hard was it to get that law passed? Well, it was it was very hard. It took five years. And matter of fact, uh, my wife and I were at a Republican retreat and watched a a show where David Goldman 
made an appeal. He had already had his congressman working on it. I was not his congressman at the time. He said, please, would somebody help me? And my wife turned to me and said, you're going to call him, right? And I said, well, um, he's in somebody else's district. She said, give him a call. I called him. I met with him three days later. I was in Brasilia with him at his court hearing, which he may not have gone to because he had been so frustrated by the lawyers in Brazil. Uh, and he, for the first time, got to see his son um, after over four years. And it was a very, very hard – I mean his former wife had passed away, and a guy that purported to be the stepfather, which he was not, uh, was retaining custody. It, it was absurd. And we do have an international convention on child abduction that should have been operative here, and it was not. So I came back, and I thought um, he's not the only one because because of that, others came to me, not even from New Jersey, from everywhere, saying, can you help me too? So I wrote a law. Um, it passed the House, sat in the Senate, died. Next Congress passed the House, sat in the Senate, um, and again, we had – took five years, uh, and it finally passed, and it now – just like, and I used the Trafficking Business Protection Act as a template for it, um, and the International Religious Freedom Act, which I've also authored, um, to hold countries to account with sanctions uh, when they are not part of the solution, when they are not, uh, you know, living up to this international norm of of getting a person back uh, to the place of what they call habitual residence. This is not about custody. This is about abduction. And I've told David Goldman, you know, and his son, he and, he and his son are, are just doing great. See him all the time. Uh, they live in Monmouth County still. And I said, you know, you launched a human rights um, movement uh, with your love for your son. And uh, they are just wonderful people. And that is current law, and it's having a huge impact. And this law, I mean, this law changes people, quite literally changes people's lives. Oh, it does. And, and it, you know, it reunites people, you know, they there's a real psychological consequence when there's a adversarial child abduction. It really is horrible and is well-founded. There's a, a UN treaty on it, uh, a convention, uh, but it has no enforcement power, and that's that's its only you know weakness. Well, now we have, on behalf of our Americans who have their children abducted, um, you know, we can levy uh, sanctions against a country. Is not showing a uh, you know an assistance point of view of trying to uh, send those children back, and um, you know and then work out the custody and um, at the place of habitual residence, and uh, so it's having an impact for sure. And you know, so so Congressman, I'm, I'm speaking with New Jersey Congressman Chris Smith, and and when I talk about you starting your 41st year. I, I don't want people on the radio to conjure up, you know, images of, of, of a 90-year-old man, you know, being wheeled onto the floor of the house. I think it's important to point out uh, you've been there. You're going to start your 41st year, and and you're you're still among the younger members in the New Jersey delegation. So you have a, a lot ahead of you. I don't I don't see any sign of you slowing down at all. No, not at all. I, you know, I love the job. I love what can be done for people in need. Um, you know, uh, you know, economic growth is all extremely important, so I work on all of those issues as well. Uh, but I, we have a, a bill that just died a week ago, which, you know, if you talk about disappointments, it's called Sammy's Law. Uh, but I'm going to get right back to getting it passed in this new Congress. Um, we got it passed in the House. Uh, it had holes on it in the Senate. It's, it has to do with Uber and Lyft. On, and, a, and this was a young woman in, from one of your constituents who was, who was murdered. Murdered in the University of South Carolina by a fake Uber driver.
But as we got into it, we found out that Uber and Lyft had serious problems themselves, over six, approximately 6,000 um, sexual assaults in a two-year period alone with Uber. Uh, that, that's shocking. And this the idea of confirming the ride before it commences and the other good parts that are in the bill uh, would, we think, mitigate you know, the, the predators making a beeline to becoming drivers, uh, whether they are bona fide Uber or Lyft drivers or fakes. Because you could buy a sign, as people know, and I, we would outlaw that in the bill, um, uh, a fake sign and go out and, and act as if you're an Uber driver. So, so Congressman, I, I know I've asked you this in the past. One, you know, I, I, I hope it doesn't doesn't uh, uh, make you uncomfortable. But I, I always ask this: so you're 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 now at the New Jersey record, and you are you you are you know still short of John Dingle's record for the longest serving tenure in the history of the country. Is 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 that something you ever think about? I think in two year, you know, you know, in elementary school and high school, college, you always think year when the new you know time begins and there is something you know i wish it was a longer term two years but there's a positiveness to it and that is it's like everything's starting fresh and i think in two-year increments i have no no sense that i want to slow down matter of fact i have several bills i've, I've been a leader on china human rights since i got elected when everybody used to look the other way on chinese human rights abuses um and have several bills pending on that the hong kong human rights and democracy act I introduced in 2014. It was opposed by the Obama administration and by many others, including Republicans. Uh, we passed it two years ago, uh, went over to the Senate, came back as a different person's bill, identical language. Uh, but it was still, you know, we, we got the ball rolling on that, and that's now law. And what they're doing to the Uyghurs um, is, is, is genocide. Uh, that's Xi Jinping, the, the so-called president of China. So, I, you know, I've been singled out by the Chinese government for, quote, punishment. Uh, the only one in the U.S. House of Representatives, because uh, I do want to travel there again. I've been – I actually got into a gulag uh, in Beijing called Beijing Prison Number 1, uh, where Tiananmen Square activists were being horribly mistreated. Uh, I've been in gulags all over the world, including in the USSR, Perm Camp 35, where Natan Sharansky uh, spent much of his time. Uh, and I do believe you know, the human rights work that remains to be done, uh, both from a religious freedom point of view and, and, and just – good governance. Um, I mean, China is on a tear in a race to the bottom with North Korea when it comes to human rights abuse. Sure. And they have the power to project all over the world and they're doing it. So uh, that is our biggest threat, I believe, well, uh, well, that we face. Congressman, you know, again, congratulations on setting a record that is that is that is a, a, a well-earned place in in history, whether people agree with you or not. It, it is remarkable. And, and I can tell you, you you won't say it, but but I would not be surprised to see you beat John Dingle's record because there's a lot of a lot of fight in you. But, so thank you. you know, thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, this is your second time and I, and I hope you'll be back. It's an honor to be on with you, David. And thank you. And thank you for the work you've done. And I'll never forget how we worked together on. Soviet Jewry, helping yes. Soviet Jews uh, get out well, of... It was important work. It was important work. Thank you. This is, uh, you've been listening to the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on 77 WABC. This is David Wildstein, the editor of the New Jersey Globe, and we'll be back next week. Thank you.